Welcome back to the Live and Never Now podcast. My name is Will. And my name is Jake. And today we're going to be talking about a website called 80,000 Hours. And it's an idea. Um, I don't know who made it originally, but I heard about it from a guy named Will McCaskill, who was on the Sam Harris podcast a few years ago and then more recently as well. But the idea behind 80,000 Hours is a framework for being intentional about your career choices and what you choose to do with your working economic life. So the principle is the average career for a working person who works in the knowledge sector is about 80,000 hours. Your career will last 80,000 hours. Okay. And they want to ensure that those 80,000 hours are used in a way that makes the world better and that maximizes the potential of humanity and the people who are engaging in those 80,000 hours. Beautiful. So I know of this site and I've, I quote unquote know about it, but just admittedly, I haven't done my due diligence enough and I've sort of taken the spark notes version from you in passing to where it's been on my forever to-do list of, Oh, I got to go back and read 80,000 hours because there's a lot of content on there. A ton of it. That breaks down. It's a very in-depth framework. Right. And it breaks down exactly how you, how you with your skill set can make the most impact more or less, correct? So they they try to be not very prescriptive and instead of telling you this is what you should do, they try to give you the tools to decide that for yourself depending on however you want to do it. Right. That's so like, they'll never say like, "Oh, you're you're good at this, go be a doctor, or you're good at this, go be a physician or an agricultural scientist. Right, but they were saying something crazy like, you know, like the most impact you can create ever right now in 2021 is to be an anti-nuclear lobbyist or something like that. They they have like lists of the um, problems that they think are the most pressing and that are not just the most pressing, but are the least publicized. So you kind of have the most bang for your buck by going into this field because mm. you can have a big impact in a field that's very important but is underrepresented in terms of the credit it gets for how important it is. That's fair. That's fair. It's, it just has the um, uh, like the bias of them saying this is – the most important issue at the moment. They, yeah, they have a list of the assumptions that they make when choosing the kind of their recommendations. Um, but in general, it's a framework for kind of quantifying this idea we all have in our brains about wanting to make an impact in the world. I think most people like want the world to be better. They want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They want to leave the world better than how they found it, whatever. This framework allows you to quantify that and then make more rational decisions about how to effectively do that. I love that. So have you used this personally to get a better sense of how you want to make an impact? Not as much as I would have liked to, but I, it definitely has made me think about careers differently and careers as a tool to make the world better instead of just making money. Right. That's, that's a really important note. Um, so the guy, George McCaskill, have you heard anything else about him? Isn't 
isn't he related to effective altruism? That's how I found out about it originally. Okay. So, 80,000 hours is very closely related to the effective altruism movement, which is the the flip side of this, which is how can you make the most impact in the world with your money? Right. If you wanted to donate it, what is what are the charities that have the most bang for your buck? Um, kind of quantifying the same question, how can we do the most good in the world? But instead of with your career, effective altruism answers that question with respect to your donation money. Right. And, and that, that one I'm much more familiar with because I've read through the paperwork or digital site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read through I read through the website and and actually a contributor to effective altruism, but it's really cool experience. Like I don't know if you donate, but they have sliders. Mm-hmm. You and, can like say which causes you care about the most. Exactly. And then they'll kind of nudge you in the direction that the research says is the most right. beneficial. And it, it feels very fulfilling because I feel like I don't have this. I I don't make the time to sit there and make it my priority to make sure my money's going to the most effective place. And I feel like I respect their acumen enough that they are making that decision for me, mm-hmm. based off of all the material on their site, the eighty thousand hours principle, all the work they do in investing in impact. And it's a very reassuring notion to be able to give to something. I feel like. I'm I'm otherwise unequipped to know where the best place for it to go is. Mm-hmm. For example, like malaria and you know world water crisis and um, you know giving people running water and, and electricity and stuff like that. So um, this this goes into kind of a conversation I feel like we talked about a long time ago though, and that is if you're sitting on the spectrum of what I can physically do with my eighty thousand hours versus what kind of money I can generate in 80,000 hours and letting that money kind of impact for me? Or I guess, should you work at something directly related to impact, like a doctor in Kenya, for example, or a mosquito net maker in Kenya? Or should you be, if you could be, be a super wealthy person and donate millions of dollars to the doctors in Kenya and mosquito net makers in Kenya? Um, And... I know where we settled, but I kind of want to revisit this so that people can hear that conversation. So that's one of the main principles in 80,000 Hours Mm -hmm. is sometimes the most effective route to change if you are a highly skilled individual or a uniquely skilled individual is to just make a lot of money and then donate it. Right. That's one of their, their main recommendations is if that's an option for you, you'll almost certainly make a higher impact in the world by doing that. Interesting. Um, it depends on what field you're in. And of course, ideally, you want to be doing a little bit of both. You want to be in a career that is not completely frivolous. Um, but if you have the option to make more money, donating it is usually better bang for your buck because of the, the principles in effective altruism. Wow. So, so yeah, if you, if you haven't read through 80,000 Hours, the website is 80,000hours.org. So the number eight, then four zeros, hours.org. Right. And they have tons and tons of information about how to make the decision about, you know, what impact you can have on the world. Right. And I want to go through a little bit of their framework and the, the assumptions they make about their quantification of a better world. Okay. And the four principles that they 
kind of lay out is the first one, a global mindset. So it's easy to think about how to make a difference in your community. But if you already live in a very privileged community, your efforts to make that community better are kind of diminishing returns because you're the bang for your buck on your time. You might be able to increase the quality of standard 10% in, in this community, but that same amount of effort would have saved, you know, 10,000 lives if you had put that effort into Africa or something. Right, right, right. And it's, it's important to realize when it's appropriate to distinguish between um, rationality and emotions. So you might get less of an emotional benefit by contributing to Africa, but it's more of a quantitative benefit. Yeah. Whereas if you like are working with kids in the inner city in a community that's next to you, that's going to feel more viscerally attractive and impactful. And the second principle that they have is the human psychology of it. So a lot of people will start down the road of being super rational and super effective in their altruism or in their career. But they'll kind of get burnt out because they don't have the connection. They don't have the, you know, they, they would be happier if they were contributing to kids in the inner city of their community instead of in some distant place where they don't get that, that feedback loop. Right. So you're actually better off doing something more in the middle where you get the emotional benefit plus you're being smart about where to put your efforts. So it's not just about being effective purely rationally, purely numerically, it's about like we're all human beings and a lot of people don't even think about this conversation. So let's have a more nuanced discussion about it. I like that a lot. And I feel like they're kind of equating that qualitative feedback as a fuel to the fire for your career or for your efforts. Mm-hmm. That, that That is a more sustainable action item because you can keep getting refueled, keep getting refueled. And that's why, and, and, but then on the, on the flip side of that, the effective route is impacting way more people. Mm-hmm. So you need the balance to kind of move forward in a, in a holistic way. Yeah. But the thing about the super effective numerical route is you actually won't affect more people if you don't do it. Right, And and their argument is people aren't going to do it if they don't have the emotional connection. People aren't going to donate to charities. They're not going to dedicate their entire career to something if it doesn't fulfill them personally. Right. Because we're we're selfish creatures at the end of the day. And that's an important part of this discussion. So it's very individualized to what you care about. And on the Sam Harris podcast that I originally listened to, they had a discussion about how if you're going out to dinner with, with you and a friend, you and that friend might spend... 20 minutes deciding where to eat and the dinner might take two hours. So 20 minutes out of two hours, that's like what, like 10% around there um, of yeah. that dinner. So if you spend 10% of your time making a decision, you know, that that's a rational decision, but 10% of 80,000 hours is a ton of time and no one spends that much time thinking about what they're going to do, even though, we all should be spending more time thinking about our careers um, because it's such a big decision. You can have such a crazy impact over 80,000 hours. Kind of that that quote that what you can do, or we all underestimate what we can do in 10 years, but overestimate what we can do in one. Imagine what that 
turns into when you apply it to a 40-year career. Right. It, it relates directly back to a compound interest. Mm-hmm. So what what career you choose to have is probably the most important decision you'll make in your life in terms of the impact you have on the world. Wow. That's that's crazy. That 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 puts a lot of weight on the um, decision matrix. It, it puts a ton of weight onto it. And people, like I was certainly not intentional about even what major I was in college. I just kind of fell into something that I was comfortable with and then here I am. Well, I, what I was going to say is I feel like, you know, with that added pressure, not that it is the, that not that the decision is easy already. It's already hard trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. But we put that decision on 18-year-olds coming out of high school and say, "Okay, go ahead. Figure out what you want and 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 the how long do they have before graduation to college? Three months? Three months before <laughs> you get to college? Yeah. And then are supposed to use college as a tool to get the career you want? It's kind of crazy. I, I This makes me want to reopen the conversation or further explore the conversation of having a gap year or maybe even two or three before you jump into a career. My friend that just visited, we went to high school with, but you didn't really know him as much, but he visited. And he's having all these revelations about this isn't the career he wants to do. And he's just like, yeah, I feel so forced. Um, I feel so like I just had to make a decision in the moment and I made the decision and, you know, I'm so far into this career and I'm already doing this, but kudos to him. He's cutting the sunk cost and and moving on, I think, very shortly after he reaches certain figures that he's projecting in his own head. Um, but you only have one life, and this is the principle I love about 80,000 hours is that the ticker there of counting down always encourages me to live a life that I want to live and prioritize getting to a place where I'm both making impact, being fulfilled by my endeavors, and not being ruled by the decision matrix of a society or decision matrix and pressure of my parents or friends or whatever, that I made that decision for me. And because I, again, I have to live with it. So mm-hmm. I, I really, I really admire just the principle off cuff before even really spending time with the material on the site. Um, because I think it puts a, and not that you have to live your life super fast, but it puts a little bit more of emphasis on the fact that, Hey bro, you, you go and go out one day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing that's sure in this life is uh, taxes and death. Is that what the quote is or something <laughs> like that? Something like that. <laughs> but it's very true. Like you have, I mean, you're going to die. <laughs> so, so make sure you make this life that we have, this one shot you got worth living, I feel. It's super important. And you're super right that it's a hard decision already. And then once there's added pressures on there, it makes it even harder. But 80,000 Hours does a really good job of kind of demystifying how complex of a decision it is by breaking down what are the general paths people have taken, um, what are the the specific problems that need the most focus. And then they give tons of examples that kind of break down the counterintuitive nature of careers. And a lot of people think that, you know, being a doctor is a really high impact field. Right. But the way that they're quantifying an impact on the world 
if you're smart enough to become a doctor, becoming a doctor in a first world country, it will not actually save that many lives comparative to what you could do in another country or something. So they give two examples I'll share. The first one was one of the men who was credited with saving the most lives in history Wow, <laughs> was a Soviet Union lieutenant colonel back in the Cold War. And he was in charge of a nuclear missile silo. Wow. And, um, him and his team got a bunch of readings that the U.S. had shot like 15 nukes at them. Um, and everyone was freaking out. His entire team was preparing to launch a retaliatory strike back on the U.S. and basically start World War III. Um, luckily, he was good enough at his job that he recognized them as false alarms and safely avoided going into a nuclear holocaust. Jesus um, Christ. His his name is uh, Stanislav Petrov, I, I think Fuck is how you yeah, say it. yeah, Stanislav Petrov. Um, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. But he, he had an incredibly outsized impact on the future of humanity because he was in a position of such power. Um, but we wouldn't have usually thought of some colonel in the army as being, you know, a high agency person. Um, so they, they do a really good job of breaking down the problems that are actually threatening humanity. And then how do you put yourself in positions to actually affect those as opposed to kind of the the emotional side where we're really affected by things we can see in our everyday lives. Right. But those things don't really make a difference in the long term. So one of their main goals is to bridge the gap between the two things I was talking about earlier, where there's the super effective side and then there's the emotional side. There's, you know, donating to water in Africa and then there's, um, you know, water schools in Flint, in the, Michigan. Yeah. Stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what they do a good job is bridging the gap so that you can have an emotional connection to something that is far away from you. And then you can kind of, you kind of get the best of both worlds because once you realize how important these issues are, it's not hard to motivate yourself to be emotionally tied to the future of humanity. Right. I, I feel like this stuff is so important, but I'm going, I'm thinking back to my own example and I'm pushing back a little bit just because Obviously, their documentation is extremely effective. It's it's well well documented. There's a lot of great information and backed study that suggests all of the things that they're saying. It's not coming out of their ass, is my point. But there's a lot of it, and at that point, that feels like a heavy upfront cost for um, getting people to care in the first place. So I'm I'm just trying to think of effective ways to get this information to people. For example. You know, how how many different things had to add up for you to even get to that site? And then how many different things had to add up for you to be able to decide that that was an important thing and then sit down and parse through all the information to then make better, better decisions in your own life? Because I'm thinking about the target audience of this, and I feel like it should be 17, 16, 18-year-olds. Their official target audience is 20 to 34-year-olds. Okay. Well, I guess we fall right in there, but mm -hmm. it, it feels a little late. And I, I guess that's another thing that's kind of a falsehood of our society um, that is kind of stabbing all the things I just said back down is that, you, you know, it's never too late, really. Like mm -hmm. until you die, it's not too late. You know, there's famous stories of 
really, really successful people not being successful until they're 40, 45, Mm -hmm. 50, not even making that career decision until like 50. Like J.K. Rowling's a a, a famous one. She's, I think she didn't start writing Harry until like 35 or something or 36, Mm -hmm. maybe even 40. Was she a writer before that? She just wasn't successful? Yeah. So I think something like that. Okay. Or or maybe she wasn't even a writer. I don't know what the fuck. Something about like Oprah didn't start something until she was late. Harrison Ford was a carpenter until he was like 37 or something. Exactly. Like people, people like to think that you know, I'm 23. I've made, I've stuck in this career for the rest of my life. But like my friend that visited, he realizes, dude, I got, you know, 40,000 hours, 50,000 mm-hmm. hours left. Let me get on this, John, and yeah. and make and cut those costs and make the most out of those 50,000 hours I have left versus the 30 I wasted. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely never too late. And I think that's why it's important that we have this conversation and force people to be more introspective about why they're doing what they're doing it goes back to intention right mm-hmm. just said everything's about intention everything's about, <laughs> every- it's about knowing why you want what you want yeah. like if you want to be um a professional cyclist like why do you want that are you do you just want like the the fame do you like the just the way it makes you feel mm-hmm. are you trying to make a difference in the world and if you are what difference are you trying to make if you're not why not? Like, are you mm. are you intentional about the decision? Um, if you're trying to be in finance, are you just trying to make money? Are you attempting to change something in the financial world? Right. Or is your goal, hey, I have skills with numbers. I can make a lot of money with finance and I can donate a lot of money to uh, communities and causes I care about. Mm-hmm. They're all three the same thing. All the examples we just gave of a finance guy or gal. Mm-hmm. But the intention behind them separates those ideas. And something that they, the 80,000 hours people convey well is you can be in any career field and still make a large impact by being effective with your donations and being diligent with your donations. (laughs) They're like, you can make a really big impact by donating to our charity. (laughs) Basically, yeah. And like, they're not wrong. No, they're not wrong. But it's just funny. It feels a little weird the way they word that. But no, it's true. It's true. So... I, what's that? I, let's talk about the pledge that they that they. So that's the effect of altruism stuff. Okay, sorry, um, sorry. Maybe there's a whole episode about that. Okay. Um, but it does tie back to what we were just saying. In any career field, uh, by simply donating like eight percent of your income and pledging to do that for the rest of your life, you'll be in the top one percent of uh, most impactful people in history ever. That's amazing. That's uh, especially if you live in a Western country where like 8% of your income is a non-trivial amount of lives saved, like hundreds of lives saved. It's crazy because we, I feel like, I think this is a really important resource because we, and as we, I referring to, I'm referring to Americans for the most part and uh, North Americans, even if you want to include Canada, Mexico, we just have so, we have it so good. And it, and even parts of Europe, we we don't understand sometimes how bad parts of the world are, at least um, in the disparity of wealth. Mm-hmm. And you know, kids are dying from diarrhea in in parts of the world. For real, and that's that is mind blowing to somebody that lives here. Like, um, but if you listen to Bill Gates talk about diarrhea, he's like, "This is fucking crazy." Like, why is no one? It's crazy how quickly human civilizations forget about 
the problems that were existing like not even 200 years ago right right for us for people right. in our who lived in this building right and i think it's i think that's wild i think that that's wild that we all share the same planet and i don't know about you actually i do know about you but i don't know about you listening but that's a that feels very important to me to close that disparagement gap as much as mm-hmm. i possibly can and, and and bring up like people not like people bring up people as much as I can on my own journey to success. I don't, I think that, uh, sometimes a caveat to this conversation is sort of martyrdom or beating myself up for having opportunity or white guilt is also another thing that has happened. Um, that's a similar emotion, but you shouldn't feel guilty for the opportunity you have in America. I don't think that that's the, the message here. I think it's, Hey, you got a lot of opportunity. Now it's a shame if you don't do anything with it. I think, the the core tenet of autonomy, which is the main principle behind freedom, and that's why we want freedom, the the most important part of autonomy is responsibility. So because we have this privilege, that comes with it an intense responsibility to do something with that. I 100% agree, and I think that's that's part of the founding foundation of this, what we're doing, like with Living Every Now. I mm-hmm. think that that's exactly what prompted... Uh, you and I to even get on this journey is like, okay, we've been given a lot. How do we make something of that? And we don't know a lot either. We're just trying. I know. Oh, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're literally failing forward. We're, we're, yeah, that's a great principle because we're we're just trying to make sense of our opportunity, sense of our privilege, and sense of all the things that this world has been like. We're so fortunate to have. And close that gap and, and, you know, take that responsibility. But mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I've been lucky in my life that I've been able to travel around to lots of places and see lots of people who lived in much different conditions than I. Uh-huh. So getting to go to Cambodia and see people who were dying of dysentery. And That's crazy. You, you know, a lot of places in Southeast Asia are, are pretty poor. Um, and because I've been there and I've seen it with my own eyes, it's not hard for me to you know, connect with that as an important issue. But when you have never seen it, of course, like the issues in your community are going to feel bigger than they are in perspective. Of course. And the internet has been a great equalizer, but I, I don't want to understate the value of travel and seeing it with your own eyes Mm -hmm. because I'll go back to my friend that came and visited recently, a big factor in his decision matrix for, you know, making a career decision is, seeing the world, see, getting outside of his comfort zone and traveling lots and seeing different walks of life and different cultures. And I think that there's a very special element to that that uh, creates a lot of perspective that then you can r- then rule your life with other decisions. So, you know, this is also an endorsement for traveling. <laughs> you can uh, book with our uh, influencer link in the description <laughs> at kayak.com. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, seriously, I think I think the act of getting outside of your comfort zone in in a way where you are seeing different things that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you ever imagine what life is like in Cambodia through a picture? Even, I mean, a picture helps is what I uh, what I was getting at with the internet being an equalizer. But when you go there and viscerally smell yeah. what life is like there. That's a big marker. It's a weird skill that I've never thought of until you brought this up about knowing how to travel well and like travel not as a tourist, but as someone who's there to experience what life is actually like. Wow. Yeah. That's, we should think about that. 
we should like we should continue to yeah that's an interesting skill we i like that think about that i like that a lot so a few more things that I want to bring up before we close this out. Yeah. I've taken the principle of 80,000 hours and tried to apply it not only to thinking about what career to choose, but how to be effective within that career and optimizing not just the decision, but the the throughput of that career. So okay. that can goes you, into- Can you paint that picture for yeah, me Yeah. So if you choose your career through the 80,000 hours framework to be a programmer, in my example- Okay how do I be the most effective programmer once I've made that decision? So things like having a good portfolio and being able to communicate ideas well. Um, there, there's three principles I want to talk about. The first one is called the no mercenary rule, which I got from a book called The Personal MBA a long time ago. Um, Classic. It, <laughs> it basically says never do anything just for the money because okay. Things always take longer and they take more effort than you think they're going to. Okay. So there's no such thing as an easy, an easy paycheck. You, there's always commitments and ties that you're not going to think of immediately. So you, you should never do something that you don't enjoy just for the money or in the principle of trying to make a big impact. You should never do something that explicitly has no impact just for the money because it's always possible to combine the two. Wow. It's a little bit harder, but it's yeah. worth the effort because you'll have so much more of an impact if you just choose to work on the right things. Interesting. I love that principle. Okay, it, so that's the no mercenary rule? That's, is that's the called? no mercenary rule. Okay, yeah. cool. The second one um, is make them tell you no. So if you're applying to a job, don't take yourself out of the running because you don't think you're good enough. Make someone else tell you no. Um, know how to get what you want out of a career and like know how to be like good at having a career. It's kind of a skill. Like if you're in a career field where promotions and moving up the ladder is important, right. be good at playing that game. It's, it's important to be good at what you do. And because you only have one chance at life, one chance at this career, it's important that you do it well. I a hundred percent agree with that. I think I, just, I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I have one no, go for thought it. that just has ruled that for me and helped me more than any other thought I've ever had with my career. So it's the principle of just asking. Make them tell you no. Exactly. If, like, if yeah. you don't ask, they're never going to tell you no, but they're also never going to tell you yes. Like shoot or shoot, baby. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like just, just the other day, I, I'm, a, I'm in the, I told you I'm in a career transition, but just the other day, um, I've been following this guy's, design portfolio as I was emulating mine and I saw one of the companies that he used to work at was hiring for a junior product designer or a regular product designer. And I was like, I think I'm a good fit for this role. I'm going to make them tell me no if, the, if I'm not. But then I also was like, hey, let me reach out to this guy and see if he can put in a good word and just compliment him and say like, hey, I, you know, because it was genuine. Like, so I, so I went to his site and I emailed him and I was like, hey, Blank, I really, really enjoyed your designs and your process. And I, and I honestly, I used it as inspiration as I was crafting my own portfolio. And I, I, I also just wanted to mention that I saw um, that BitPay, or I, I guess I just outed myself, but I, I guess I just saw that your last company that you were working at um, is hiring. 
And I was wondering if you could give me any advice or, or put in a good word or whatever you felt comfortable offering. Uh, thanks, Jake. And he responded in like an hour and was like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. I love, I love that you do BJJ and Muay Thai. I saw that on your site. I used to do that for a long time. Um, uh, I'll definitely put in a good word, us. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, ah, oh, that's baller. That's so, and I was like, thank you, man. You're so kind. That means a lot. So, so just by asking though, not being scared of asking and not being scared to fail, I guess in that, re- mm-hmm. or be rejected is a very important principle that has definitely helped me so much in my personal career. And this is only one example. I have probably 20 okay. throughout my career. But yeah, sorry, caveat. No, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And people are afraid to get what they want. They're afraid to be rejected. Right. And it's way, honestly, the whole career market as far as applying, asking for help, all that stuff is just statistics anyway. So mm-hmm. if you can cover as much ground as possible, ask as many times as possible, uh, get as much help as possible, you will be successful, period. So every job application process I've ever done, I've applied for hundreds and asked probably like you know upwards of 10 people for help or guidance or et cetera. But on to your third point. Okay. Uh, my, my third point comes from an article um, written by one of the guys who created the Django web framework. That's not important, but his website is really good. He's got a good blog called jacobian.com. Yeah. I, you actually shared it with me the other day. I, I dug through all his stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's got a great blog. He's but cool. One of his principles for what makes someone good in their career or good in their role is number one, not only that they're good at the job that they were hired to do, but number two, which is the second most important thing you can be good at, is being easy to work with. Because it doesn't matter how good you are at your job, if you're hard to work with, if you make things harder for other people, you're not worth being on a team. Wow. Um, and in programming, that's super um, tangible. Like, do you document your code well? Do you communicate the problems and the bugs well? Um, I'm sure with any career where you have to... In- influence other people or interact with other people, which is every career pretty yeah, much other than like say. maybe a writer who writes alone. Yeah. I was going to say even in uh even not intro team cross department, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a current position where I'm the only designer at my company and I basically handle all creative requests period. So I have to work with other departments a lot. And apparently I got hired, I got hired, um, while I was still in school. So I had a little bit of imposter syndrome and wasn't really sure of how well I could do my job at first. I was very confident, but a little bit of the imposter syndrome stuff. Regardless, I was instantly reaffirmed when I got there based off my personality, not off my design skills, because apparently the last designer was a total bitch. And everybody was like, wouldn't say that she was a total bitch, but I totally got the vibe that she was a total <laughs> bitch. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're so much easier to work with. And I'm like, oh wow, okay. So this is what we're dealing with. But but in design, people will get attached emotionally to their designs. And that's not the point of design. The point of design is creating solutions for people. So I literally don't give a shit what I give you. I, I give a shit if you're happy with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the point. And you have to get yeah. that mindset. It's not personal. I think that in careers like you're talking about where it's highly collaborative, it's more important to be easy to work with than it is to be actually good at your job. Agreed. If there's you know two designers at a company, 
one of them is really, really good at what they do, but they're hard to work with. And one of them's like average, but they're really easy to work with. Right. The easy to work with person is going to get way more collaborations. They're going to get way more work. They're going to get way more visibility in the company. They're going to get promoted faster. So even though they're a worse designer, because they're easier to work with, they're in in reality, a better designer because right. they get more work, they get more practice, they get more response and feedback. Right. Their loops are much more concise. I totally agree. I think that that's a good um, notion to take a step back on and reemphasize my like soft skills, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, look at myself. Am I a good communicator? That's a number one job factor uh, skill need. Yeah. Is can you communicate effectively with everyone around you? Why is that so hard? It's so hard. It's incredibly difficult. It's so hard, but I I put that on every resume. I'm like, I'm a good communicator. And I don't even know if I am, but I'm trying to identify with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's worth something, yeah. (laughs) So to summarize everything I think we've talked about, be intentional about your career. Be intentional about the one shot you have at making an impact in the world. And know why it is that you want what you want. And if you don't know why it is that you want what you want, a great place to start is the 80,000hours.org website, which has an incredibly well laid out framework for making these kinds of decisions. And you've re-inspired me to reprioritize that in my to-do list. It takes a few hours to work through all the material and it's a lot of reading. They have some podcasts now, which make it a little bit more ingestible. Oh. And they, I think they have a documentary coming out pretty soon. That is like their entire framework in a much more ingestible format, kind of like what you're talking about, targeting more of the younger audience. Right. Um, but yeah, um, that's pretty much it. Anything else from you? No, I, I just really appreciate you bringing this up. I think it's super, super, super important. And I, I know it boils down to intentionality, but all the aspects we cover here have been what I view as important. I think that's why we're talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is bullshit, guys. <laughs> but no, this one, this one in particular, I think, especially with the people that are listening to our stuff, like all two of you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's. I think that there's um, a lot of potential for all the people that are listening to he- hear that and reevaluate their intention in their career. Um, where can they find us? So we are on the internet at liveinevernow.com. Yeah. Twitter and Instagram handles are at liveinevernow. And there's a link to our Discord, which you should come join and hang out in. Yeah. Uh, in the show notes below. And we'll we'll also link 80,000hours.org in the description. Of course. And, um, I don't know if you want to, but we can talk about linking effective altruism, or we can save that for another time. Yeah. I got uh, I got to work through some of the code in the back end so we can link things easier. But it's <laughs> a discussion for another time. All right, 35 and a half percent done with the lines. We're getting there. <laughs> All right. Thanks for doing this with me, Jake. Back at you, brother. See you. Bye.